you are listening to the Barbara May Show, the place where we discuss all that really matters. We will cover all you need to know about lifestyle, health, spirituality, and plus so much more. Are you ready? Let's dive in. You are listening to episode 23 with Nina Oli. Nina is a public speaker, London life coach, author, activist, and a founder of EndHonorKillings.org, a nonprofit organization to provide welfare and support to victims of attempted honor killings. In this episode, we will discuss a very sensitive topic of human trafficking and honor killings. Please do not listen to it without headphones if you have your children around. Hello Nina, welcome to our podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Um, before we dive in, I have a question for you. What are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for being alive every day, waking up, knowing that I have survived and that I found a purpose, a real purpose that is bigger than I am. I have watched your TED talk, um, which you have done this year. Um, I believe I have some notes, 17th of May, you have recorded it. And you are there on a stage and you're pleading to people. Um, you're breaking a silence. Um, you want people to go to United Nations and stop the honor killing. You are there supporting people in fighting human trafficking, which is 150 billion dollar business some websites actually say 30 billion but i believe that is more than that how did you get this courage to speak out especially you are asian woman and how did you do that um firstly thank you for watching my ted talk it's not an easy one um although i am very inspirational my ted talk is not and i'm going to be really direct about that anyone listening my ted talk is not for myself I've never aspired or dreamt or had it on my bucket list to do a TED talk. But what I had on my list of things to do was to reach the largest target audience I could. And that opportunity presented itself. So I was very, very grateful for that. I speak out about human trafficking, I'll start with, because I still have a sister who now will be 12 years old that my father abducted and took to India and placed in a boarding school at the foothills of Kashmir. And through various sources, I understand that a lot of the orphanages in India that only take girls are a front for human trafficking, slavery into the Middle East, and they allow the children to be raised to a certain age so they can use their organs and sell their organs now. In my best possible scenario, my sister will be not here with us. And that sounds harsh, but the thought of her being trafficked at the age of 12 and being subjected to sexual rape as a minor, having been there myself, breaks my heart. To think of her being a servant, being treated without respect as a young child also breaks my heart because I've been there. and. I am a target and I've created this visual target for everybody and I'm more than aware of this. I have had death threats. I have been really threatened to a point where 
I've had to think about things myself because I have three amazing children, but it has to start with one person. And I believe that the higher conscious, whoever they are, the universe, God, whoever you want to call it, has put me through each of these hurdles to see if I will get over them. The whole trauma of my childhood, the whole trauma of my um, relationship with my former partner to see if I would be strong enough then to actually take a stand and plead, and you used exactly the right word, plead from my heart to ask people just to stop for a minute and help in any way they can. Have you ever looked for your sister? I haven't looked for my sister. I wouldn't know where to start. I took a long time accepting what had happened because it's a scary concept. And having happened 20, well, it happened 30 years after my situation, it was very hard to digest that the mentality of somebody would still be so vindictive that they think that this honor that they feel that they're retaining is really worthy of taking a child's life. And I've had nightmares about her. I'm not going to lie because at 21, I know how it felt lying there broken, literally bones broken, mentality broken, thinking this is it now, you're about to go, but also accepting death is it's not a bad thing because I had got to that point that maybe that was my calling to die at that point in that moment. But knowing that she was taken from country to country from the United Kingdom before she got to India, knowing that my father took her without her mother's knowledge and having had children myself, thinking about how a six-year-old would think, it's a very difficult concept. And a lot of things I struggle with are for somebody else's pain, not my own. My own pain even in the talk, when I talk about myself, I can talk about it because I've moved on. But knowing there are hundreds of Ninas, thousands of Ninas still there, and my little sister may be still there struggling every day, waking up in fear, not knowing what's going to happen to her. So I haven't looked for her, but I've spoken to somebody recently. And, and one of the things I said to him was, I feel that I will at some point visit those places but I do know that they don't allow anybody access not even the police not even the parents once that child's gone behind those doors they almost belong to that school. So was she sold um, to this place um, because your father sorry for jumping in I know you want to say something your father is going to be released from prison this year and um, um, how long has he been jailed for? Because so my father's my father has been released. He was released this year and he was jailed in 2015. As I say, abduction is a very short sentence. And I remember very clearly the day the police lady found me, I thought my former partner had found me because it's the same year that I became homeless. And she, she found me, tracked me down and wanted to know about my relationship with my father. And when she told me, my heart sank because I felt guilt. I felt I didn't hold my father accountable for what he did to me. Even after what he did to me, tried to abduct my daughter when she was born because he was trying to get rid of her because she was bringing shame to my family being a multicultural, well, she was her father's African, so she was a mixed heritage. And that in itself was bad. The fact that she was born a girl was bad to my parents, not me. 
So they were trying to hide this mistake as they called it. And I didn't do anything. I knew that he was trying to find my daughter and kill her and kill me, but I did nothing. And then this happened years later, many years later, and you have that guilt. We all have the what ifs and I should have, you know, but this is a big what if and I should have. So I carry that, but that is also my motivation to stand up because I feel it's my duty to stand up. Yeah, very powerful message. And and I'm very grateful to have you on a podcast and talk about this and the fact that you have built up the courage to stand up. Yeah, it's just not not easy thing to talk about. So um, would you mind sharing um, a little bit about the honour killing? Why are you there to stop it? Because you have your petition as well, which I encourage everybody to go and sign in and I'll share it in the show notes as well. So can you share your story about that, please? Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm born in the United Kingdom. I'm raised in the United Kingdom. And the reason I'm stating that is everyone says, but Nina, did this happen in India? Did this happen somewhere in Pakistan or Middle East? Were you in this country? My parentage is Indian. And this happened in Leicester, which is central central of you know the United Kingdom. So it's called the Midlands, I guess, but we are a multicultural society in Leicester. We have quite a large population of Asians. So it's very easy to hide these things. And I'd returned from an arranged marriage. I was escaping rape um, and sexual abuse from my father-in-law. I was actually placed in that home by my father as an agreement. He had made a trade almost that he'd made to one of the perpetrators of my rape when I was 14 because the person was present and he was also one of the people that had raped me continuously. Um, And because my father said I had damaged myself, you know, brought it upon me, um, that nobody would want me, that he had to do this trade. So he almost made it out that I had been spared. But when I left that marital home, they wouldn't take me back because once you leave your arranged marriage home, they won't take you back. I had left and run back to my parents in in the in the hope, in the hope that they would just say, it's okay, we're going to look after you. I was very blinded by people at work that were westernized from the westernized societies talking from their own experiences saying, this is not good you know you need to go back to your parents they will look after you they're your parents for god's sake and part of me wanted to believe that so when i arrived my brother and father dragged me from the front door they barraged me with abuse that i had brought shame upon them that my father wouldn't be able to show his face in the community that people would laugh and joke about him that he has a daughter that's loose that she's a loose woman that's left her husband not had children for four years in the marriage and you know is is not a good daughter and to retain his honor he had to silence me and kill me so that he could show the community that look I did the honorable thing of killing but as in my TED talk I say where is the honor in killing the two words don't go together there is no honor in taking somebody's life or harming anyone But this cultural belief isn't to do with religion. It's to do with 
how you are perceived in society and how you are ranked almost. So if you have sons, you are ranked higher than somebody with daughters. If you have a business, you are ranked higher. If your children become doctors and dentists and engineers, you are ranked higher. So it's always pushing that child to be somebody so that you have that status in the society. And if your child goes against the grain, if it's a boy that turns out that he, his sexual preference is another man, a male, that is taboo and they hide it, they will still get him to marry somebody and allow him to have his life outside of the home. But if it's a girl, she's not allowed. She's not allowed to do anything. Even making eye contact is worthy of being killed because we do not make eye contact as women and girls. We are taught not to do that. We are taught it's disrespectful. We are taught that we are um, beneath, you know, beneath the others in the family, that our parents are honored that they have brought us into this life and allowed us to live. So an honor killing is really for retaining that respect as they see it. Where was your mum at this all when this all was happening? Because and you haven't mentioned it, but you have mentioned it on your TED talk that you had a broken ribs and you have been abused and and yes. So where where was your mum? Yeah, no one's really have asked me about that before. You're right. Um, the day that I was raped, it was the middle of the night. I couldn't move. I was physically really in a painful state as a 14 year old and I was quite a frail 14 year old. I had my clothes ripped apart. There was blood all over the carpet the first time. When I say the first time, it's the same carpet that I was nearly killed upon the second time. But the first time when I lay there, my mum put her head through the door the day after, saw me and walked away. And I remember looking at her and as she walked away I just said mummy but I knew she wouldn't turn around and as a child as a young girl I needed my mum. Mm -hmm. Is it because um, she's a believer in in the honour behind this? I just want to state this so if somebody doesn't know the honour killing um, or shame killing is the murder of an individual by someone seeking to protect family there is no honor behind um, killing, as it's been stated um, in your TED talk. Yeah, she um, she was there when they broke my arm and jaw. She and my brother's wife were there. They both stood with their arms crossed with very angry expressions, witnessing a very horrific, brutal attack on somebody that just wanted to be loved. And I looked, because you do, you look towards a person for even a glimpse of empathy, but there was none from either of them. And I don't normally talk about it, but they condone that behavior for them, that behavior is necessary. I wondered if she was in fear of her own life, if she could talk out herself, but there have been many times growing up where she has showed huge cruelty herself and I think it's because the respect for a child that's born a girl is isn't just not there 
So the fact that I was born a girl was almost in their eyes a curse to them. My nickname as I grew up was a witch because they satanized the fact I was born that I had brought upon them some sort of witch type craft um, prevalence because other girls were being born in the family. So my mother, I love, I love my father too, but neither of them showed me any mercy. Mm -hmm. Have you seen them since? Because it's been, you said you were 21 years old, now you are 51. So that's 30 years ago this has happened. Yeah. So yeah. I was contacted by, whilst I was in my relationship with my former partner, my brother contacted me 15 years after I had left. And um, it was because he'd attacked a girlfriend with a hammer and he was in some sort of program with the police that said, you need to go and make do right whatever you've done wrong in the past. And with a counsellor, he'd spoken out that he'd hurt me, he'd broken my arm and jaw and he'd really beaten me. So he came to find me and my former partner let him in. I was surprised to see him because I never ever thought I would, but the hurt was still there. There was no apology. It was more of a gesture for his own need. And I tolerated his visit and I saw my mother as well for the first time after 15 years. But I soon realized that this culture that they were still living within would affect my children. And they became very hostile towards me after a few meetings that I needed to abide to a certain way of living. I felt unsafe. I felt my children were at risk. And I visited the house once. I was taken into the same room upon which I had been raped, upon which I had bled when I was, um, when the honour killing attempt had taken place. And I said to myself, there won't be a third time. And I left the house without my shoes, without my coat. I just ran with my children, literally in fear that something was about to happen. And I believe it was a way of coaxing me back, back in to try to blindside me that they weren't, had changed. Um, but the, it was very obvious there was no change with the behavior. Um, I did see my father on the, on the same day and he tried to attack me. So I knew that I was, you know, I needed to get out of there. And I think this thing where all of us want to be loved or in a child wants, wants that parental love and for them to turn around and say, do you know what, I'm proud of you, I love you, you're my child, I acknowledge you. We all crave that. But there comes a time where you have to understand that sometimes you have to love people from afar and I've not seen them since. How did you build up the courage to talk about this after all this time? I found myself a couple of years ago, I have said this, um, a couple of years ago, I really hit rock bottom with being homeless and getting over a long relationship with a narcissistic person. My son's suffering from mental health, one of them being on a high suicide um, register. And I started to just look within I was desperately unhappy because I felt I'd failed my children. And I started to realize through meditation that 
I was beautiful. And then it didn't matter if I lost weight, it didn't matter if I curled my hair or put on a lot of makeup, all that mattered was what was within me. And I realized, you know what, Nina, fear has kept you from lying. It's created this habit of a person that's a good girl effectively. And I am a good girl, I'm a good woman. And I've never hurt anyone with intention. I've never lied with intention. I've kept my humanity at a high level because I know how it feels. And I said to myself that you are light and I love you. And that love that I felt was such a surge that I can't describe it, but it was, I guess, almost an awakening to myself that all I had to do was love me. That I was never responsible for the opinion of other people and their opinions only mattered if I allowed that opinion to touch me. Absolutely. I was this magnetic creature that could attract people, good people. And at that time I was attracting people who were calling me things like pure angel. And I didn't really ever accept those compliments because I didn't know how, because I'd only been attacked verbally. But I started to understand that you give to receive, that this flow has to go through and it has there has to be a balance in life, the yin and the yang. I felt that whoever he is, the creator or the universe has deliberately took me down this path so that I could be the one to give light to those girls that are sat in a room like I was, waiting to be called to cook, waiting to be called to clean or pushing somebody off them because they are being raped or holding that last breath, trying to get through a beating. I felt I was their representative. I was their voice. Absolutely, and you are so beautiful. I am 33 years old and we look the same. <laughs> you, don't, you don't look your age at all, but I think that's an advantage with Asian women. You guys got like a beautiful skin, beautiful hair and everything. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I would like to talk about now um, about the honor killings in general. So we know anybody who wants to find out can type it in a Google. We know that they are happening around the world. They are not just happening in um, Muslim countries, okay? Because I don't want to blame anything on the religion. It's 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 wide thing. It is happening around the world. Um, and also, you are saying that it can happen on your to the next door neighbor. If someone is a victim of, I'm not going to call it domestic violence. I don't really know what I would call it because I don't want to call it. What would you call it? I think cultural restraints. I would yeah. put it down to if someone's suffering from the um, effects of cultural restraints. Yes, and they can't speak up for themselves because um, their family is very close to them and they don't have anybody to reach out to. Is there yeah. a phone number? Is there something they can do to be heard? Yeah, so I recently said this as well. Um, but there's a sign they can make, and I don't know whether this is going to be just a voice thing, but I can describe it. So if somebody, it's very difficult when you're in that situation, and this goes for domestic violence um, as well. Anybody that's a victim of domestic violence can do this, but you can't, you're watched constantly. If you're with a parent, um, I was watched constantly by my mother, when I was with my partner for 23 years, I couldn't go out anywhere on my own. My car was tracked. There was no way of me talking 
and saying I need help. Also fear takes over. But I would say to anybody in that situation that you deserve to be able to have the fundamental human rights that are really a gift that we're not given because everybody else has given them and you're not a bad person to want that for you. But there is a sign they can do by holding their hands out flat, bringing their thumb inwards and then closing their thumb in, which means I'm trapped. A lot of staff are trained in the hospitals, airports, public places. There is a lot of people that know this sign. If you are being trafficked, I'll call it, taken to India even to be killed as I was supposed to be taken, if you place something metal into your underwear, your parents are not going to check your underwear. It will set off the um, security at the airport and please just say, I need help. I'm being forced. Just those words, I'm being forced. They will have the right staff at the airport to help you and your life can be different to the way it will be if you are taken to India. So they're the two things I would say to people, but also, they can reach me. My daughter and I have started an organisation called endhonorkillings.org. It's really there for people that want to know more about honour killings, what they are, and to reach out to me. It's, it's, a, it's a way of emailing and there's no track of the email once they send it because it's, a, it's not from their personal email. So they can communicate with me and I can reach out when it suits them or I can give them some indication of how they can get out of the situation they're in. There isn't, there are quite a few charities out there, but it's difficult because you feel you don't deserve that help. You feel very trapped. You feel very responsible for your parents. You feel like you're doing something so bad that you can't do this. And you think, well, they're going to kill me, but they're trying to kill you anyway. And that's, that's one of the key things, even in domestic violence, I didn't leave even though my pillow was set on fire, even though at the end he tried to kill both me and my youngest son, I didn't leave because I thought he would kill me. Because he said, if you ever get out of this house, it'll be in a coffin. But he was trying to do that anyway. And when you take a step back and you're not in that situation, everything's very clear, but it's not your fault. And you'll be told it's your fault over and over again, but it isn't. And I'm telling you, it's not your fault because I've been there. Also, since um, I, I suppose that's how you grew up since you were little, you have been told that you are not good enough. So I think that kind of knocks the confidence down and people are not able to speak up for themselves. And that's why I'm, I'm so um, grateful to have you and, and for you to speak up for yourself. I'm so proud of you <laughs> because it's just to get the, get the, I don't know, just the strength and to share the message is, is very, is amazing. You see, the thing is, you yourself are what I would describe as a heroine because you are taking a message that's difficult and you are giving that awareness to it and that time. And I know you are a spiritual person. I know you come from a really good place within your heart. But by you sharing this message, even if it reaches somebody who knows somebody or talks about it, you're help helping me to create a snowball effect so that maybe in generations to come, there will be a difference. So when someone says to me, who do you idolize? Who do you wish you were like? I wish I was me, but I idolize people like you 
because you allow that message. And my my challenge to myself was to do a hundred podcasts all around the world so that there would be a hundred messages spread out, which will then maybe multiply to 200. But without you, it's not possible. So I'm very, very thankful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mina, my last question for you is, sorry, one more question. How many podcasts have you done so far? I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm on I'm halfway okay <laughs> my last question for you is um where can listeners find you and get in contact with you and could you please list everything what is there um what people can spread <laughs> spread yeah, the sure. so, so with the honor killings as I said I have an organization called endhonorkillings.org if anybody wants to work with me on that, um, I would love that also, because it's just myself and my daughter at the moment. It's very hard to get people to come forward because as I said, it's very taboo, nobody wants to talk about it. But even just to watch my TED talk is spreading awareness. I don't want numbers, I want people to actually watch it and take away the message. Um, I know that everyone who watches it will remember it. And as I said, it's not empowering, but it is about a message from my heart for those people that are still trapped because I can't help the ones that have gone, but I can help the ones that are still here. So you can find endhonorkillings.org. My personal name, surname is very unusual, Nina, A-O-U-I-L-K.com if you want to contact me. I help people change their mindsets um, to find themselves um, that love that you understand, that I understand, that when you find that everything comes towards you. And most, if not all of my earnings go towards my, my organization to help others. You can also find me on Instagram on Nina underscore the Brit or London's Life Coach. You can um, buy my book, all the proceeds again, go to my organization, which is now on Amazon. The book is about how you can change your life with all the experience I know myself and wish somebody had told me, um, it's called Master Your Life, Live the Life of Your Dreams. The link is in my link tree on my Instagram. And I would just want to say before I leave, not another link or another way of getting hold of me, but just to say to people that you are part of the problem, as I say in my TED talk, you are. If you're not doing something actively or talking about it, then you're not spreading awareness and you are part of the problem because until we hold people accountable for the things they do wrong, they will continue to do it. And my father is a prime example. So spread the news. If you know anybody in the police that I can speak to, please get them to contact me. There's a huge network out there. If you know somebody in the UN that I can go and speak to, if you can make that happen for me, then please make it happen. Or if you can do it, I don't need that recognition. I just need that change. So I, I do plead that if there's anyone out there that knows somebody in their contact list that can make a difference, then please do something just to help spread the awareness so that we are more attentive and vigilant when girls go missing, women don't return to work. And there are injustices happening all around the world. If we can all collectively work towards a main goal that would show me that this world does have good hearts and that we care about 
one another, which is why I believe we were initially put on this earth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I know this subject is very different from other subjects I have covered on my podcast. I have decided to share Nina's story to raise awareness and remove the stigma as so many people are not even aware of what honour killings are. I would like to ask you to share this podcast episode so we can spread the word and awareness together and make a change. You can find Nina's contact details below the show in the show notes and also there is a link to her petition. Please share it and sign it if you want to make a change. I cannot wait to see you on next episode.